This week's episode made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. My name is Anna Ellis. I'm here with my co-host, Christy Mullen. Good morning, Christy. Hello, everyone. We are here with a weekly episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. We are brought to you by New Memphis, the local nonprofit that Christy and I both work for, but also support and love. Yes. Um, today's episode is a TED episode. You're getting so good at I that. Know. I'm I've been so practicing. Proud. Um, so <laughs> if you are a new listener to this show, then I will fill you in. Um, a TED episode means that we pull out one of our past TEDx Memphis talks. So. What is TEDx Memphis? Uh, <laughs> TEDx Memphis is a local conference that we put on once a year. We take um, the global TED Talk model and we apply it to our to local speakers and a local audience. So we have a lineup of really, I think, some of the best thinkers, creators, activists, uh, academics, artists, just people who are doing some of the best work here in Memphis, some of the best thinkers in the city <laughs> who have some big ideas and they take the TED stage and they craft a short, compelling TED talk. And I uh, don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but <laughs> we've had some real stars come across our stage yes. and we we pour a lot of work into the TEDx conference and our speakers pour a ton of work into putting together some really excellent thought provoking, you know, just talks that really will, you know, make you think, make you cry. Um, so today we will be sharing one of those talks. You'll get to hear the audio of the TED Talk. Um, but we also have that TED speaker in-house yeah. uh, in the studio to talk about their work, uh, to reflect on their talk. Um, and before we get into this this uh, week's guest, I will mention that as we're talking about TED, it is, it is fall and the season of TED <laughs> is upon us. Um, we will be hosting our 2021 TEDx conference on October 30th. Yeah. That's a Saturday. Halloween weekend, guys. Right? So, yeah. <laughs> For some ghoulish TED fun, <laughs> join us at the Levitt Shell. So, again, um, we're doing things a little bit differently this year because there is a deadly global virus. That is How didn't, haven't you heard? I know. I was like, breaking news <laughs> on Meanwhile in Memphis. Um, so, we're going to be at the Levitt Shell because it is outdoors. We believe we can gather you safely and uh, practice social distancing and throw on your mask. Um, so we won't be in a quiet, closed theater. We're going to be in our, our city's sort of backyard yeah. theater, which is I kind of love. Um, it's going to be different, but I think it's going to be really I'm exciting. excited about it. It means we can have um, more people come and enjoy the TED Talks. Mm -hmm. It means that tickets are um, are cheaper than they mm -hmm. usually would be because we can have more folks show up. So if you're interested in joining us, you can get early bird tickets now for just $50. Yes, for both sessions, guys. That's yeah. a whole day. So we get started around noon. There is a session from noon to 2 and a session from uh, 3 to 5. Um, if you are a huge TED enthusiast, come hang out for the day. There's going to be uh, food trucks and drinks and other things that, like, you know, ways for you to, you know, interact and share your ideas. Um or if you're you're just looking for a couple, you know, an hour or so of some TED Talks, you can come for one session. But uh, tickets are on sale today. Again, we are offering this early bird price. Um, we want everyone to be able to come and join us. It's going to be great. I'm yeah. so excited about we, we are going to be unveiling this year's speakers <laughs> soon. And it is a great, as always, batch. Um, yes. But today's guest, uh, you can go, sorry, to TEDxMemphis.org. No, it's dot .com. 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 Like, 
It's the newmemphis.org. TEDxMemphis.com. You can, <laughs> you can punch me later. <laughs> TEDxMemphis.com. If you just type in TEDxMemphis in Google, it'll take you there, too. <laughs> you, could, you could find your way to newmemphis.org, and it will redirect you to yes. TEDxMemphis.com. But uh, you can also follow us on social and learn all about TED, uh, learn about speakers, and get your tickets. So. Yes. Um, but today we have a speaker from our very first year, which is fun because um, it feels like it's been a minute since I've seen this lovely lady. Um, so, Christy, who is our guest today? Yeah, guys, today's guest is the CEO and artistic director of the New Ballet Ensemble and School, which is a very special organization that we have right here in Memphis. Um, it's a ballet studio, but it, it's not one that is just about dance. It's about kind of building this creative environment where youth feel safe and supported as they work to discover and develop their unique gifts. So it's going to be really exciting. I didn't realize that she was part um, Katie Smythe, who is this person who I just introduced, and I don't think I said her name. I was going to say, um, and her I name miss, is that, Katie Smythe. That, and her name is, drumroll please, Katie yeah. Smythe. But she is the uh, CEO and artistic director of New Ballet, and I didn't realize it was the first year of TED that she gave her talk. Yes, a little like inside baseball, her brother, Clay Smythe, okay. um, is at the time he was I think the lower school principal um, at um, Memphis University School MUS, and MUS had helped. Uh, there were students who helped volunteer, and he said, "My sister has like the best story. She runs this incredible organization." And I'd heard of New Ballet, like right. I knew it was you know kind of there in the heart of mm-hmm. Midtown and Cooper Young, and I I was familiar with the idea of bringing the you know kids from all over. Yeah. At any rate, um, but I didn't really understand the the story behind it, and as you said, that it's not just a dance studio. Yeah. Um, and you know, we, we'll talk about this in the in the interview with her. But um, so rarely is a youth arts organization just an arts organization. It's not. You know, it's not always about. All right, we're going to teach this kid to to dance, to sing, to play an instrument, to paint. Um, there's you know so much more work happening, and it's exciting. Yeah. It's. I, I was just <laughs> I was reading a book over the weekend, um, and it was uh, talking about music and dance is like a form of like this the, the most like organic form of joy mm-hmm. and that's sort of like programmed into human beings right um and that as we age we stop doing it because of shame which like i can i can relate to very deeply fair just <laughs> um, why like you'll see me like hit the dance floor at a wedding give me a few cocktails and that say, shame after, dissipates after i've enjoyed the cocktail hour <laughs> i um feel like i'm a very good dancer yes. um but it's true you know i think um something that we connect with as as a young person you're enjoying music with your body interpreting right. these things feeling the emotion of that and I just think it, it just made me reflect just knowing we're going to talk about Katie what a gift that is to give to children yeah. to give them the tools did you were you a were you a child star in the in the dance hall I so I did do ballet for a while I am one of the klutziest people if you look at me you're like she did not take ballet but I always had the feet for it I have natural turnout which is not great for walking perfect for ballet dancing um so I did I was obsessed with the ballet but I lived in a very small rural town um where luckily there was one ballet studio um and it was a lady who was from a hometown who had went away and came back um, and so it was just literally in my age class, there was only me and one other girl. Um, so I got very like hands-on, like say, fun, some, like private um, lessons training. But what about you, Miss Anna Mullins Ellis? Were you ever into the dance scene? I was a, a rejected dancer. <laughs> I actually, I have two sisters, so anything that one of us did, we kind of like all had to do. Yeah. So if you were like. Which uh, many of my like childhood traumas were because my <laughs> older sister was very theatrical. Okay, she's like a very gifted musician, 
she wanted to act like um so I ended up having to be like in school plays that made me want to just like just die <laughs> like can I die instead of go out and do this but we did all take dance and when you're like, like I think I started taking dance when I was like five like five six seven yeah you know you're like it's some ballet it's some some jazz some tap um but then there was a moment when I guess you kind of like have to level up I was probably like I don't know eight or nine yeah and the dance teacher was like I think she should quit oh God. <laughs> <laughs> and I did not have the kind of parents that were like no, so, you know, they were like, you're probably right. So so my parents are similar. Like, I, I, my mom talks about it, how, like, her parents were always like, no, you have to stick to it. And so when I was coming up, she would, if I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm the only person in there. My friends aren't there. She'd be like, okay. And so sometimes I, like, I'm like, could you have pushed me maybe a little more to just stay? But ballet was the exception for me because I wasn't inherently, I knew it wasn't going to be a profession for me, right? Like, I don't have the body type for it. I, and it wasn't ever something. It was just something I loved. But you loved it. And I, I think that's so loved, great. and I just pushed myself to do, even though I'm like in a small town where everybody's like, "What's ballet? Why? Um, why are you dancing to Charlotte Church on a stage <laughs> in front of all of us?" Um, so like, I just have. I loved it. I loved putting on the tutu. I loved putting my hair in a bun, and I just loved going to work every day. Honestly, we got to do the opener from center stage in a class once. Like, per, you know, it's just fun. Um, so I'm super excited for that reason and that personal connection to interview Katie and just. I was the like, so we'll um, to accompany this podcast. We'll uh, we'll do a quick video. We'll come. We'll, we'll do the, the warm up number. I was gonna say I'm just Christy and I doing a a little dance. I have um, to go dig out my shoes from somewhere. I was gonna say I've got some tap moves I can break oh, out. Oh, so. I do forget about your tap your tap skills. This uh, again, like I don't know. I don't know at what age. I mean, it's probably like you know 18. <laughs> That they're like you have you're gonna stop having hobbies, right? You know, like you can't you can't start a new hobby. Like if you weren't like playing basketball as a child, you can't just be like a 35 year old woman going. You know what? I'd like to learn to play basketball because there just isn't anywhere like to teach. Those yeah, things. like yeah. You know, so I, I, we should pass this idea to Katie. Be like, will you please start an adult? Well, I know some people do adult classes and now in the city. So for people like that who always had the dream and wanted to, but either you didn't have the access as a kid or your parents were just not Mm -hmm. the type that would like take you to those sort of things. Those are starting to pop up now. So again, I think it's a great idea. I think there's never, you're never too old to learn animal. If you see a 38 year old woman tap dancing down the street. AKA if you see animals, you'll know it's me. (laughs) All, All right. right, let's get into it. Um, let's go ahead and bring in Katie Smythe from New Ballet Ensemble. Let's do it. Hello, Katie. Welcome. Thank you. Good what morning. a beautiful place down here. The Falls Building is such a beautiful. We've missed piece it of Memphis the last history. couple yeah. of months. So <laughs> we really lucked out for the location we have. Um, so you are here. We have so much to talk about. We have your TED Talk on deck. But before we get started, I just kind of want to know a little bit more about you and kind of, you know, our listeners are going to know so much about New Ballet and everything after your TED Talk. But what, why, why the work of New Ballet? First and foremost, why? Well, because I had everything that could be afforded a dancer to have a world of training, uh, teachers from around the world, um, mainly Canada and England, but also Russia. And so I had such a global education in dance because I was in a situation of privilege where I could afford it. My right. parents could afford it. And going out into the world, Minneapolis, where I first danced, and then New York and Los Angeles, where I began working in public schools and outreach for the Los Angeles Music Center, okay. 
I would see scores of children standing in front of us after we performed, knowing they would never have the chance. And so I became really compelled to get kids dancing. And I realized it was a huge machine, you know, uh, that dance wasn't really made for that, that dance was really made for privilege mm -hmm. as far as ballet is concerned. It's an expensive hobby. Yes. And it's a European hobby. In a career, hobby. yeah. <laughs> um, so, but I was also falling in love with the dance that I saw on the streets in L.A. with breakdance, which is very particular to New York, but there were breakdancers in L.A., um, with children's own movement, own improvisational skills, and how they informed their own movement and musicality. And I was inspired by the kids, but I couldn't inspire the institutions to change. Right. And so when I came home, I saw that opportunity. I needed to come home. My son was very ill. Uh, he was born premature, and he was on oxygen and a heart monitor oh, for gosh. two years. Oh. And I wanted to be home, honestly, with my parents. Right. I wanted to be where Le Bonheur Hospital was yeah. um, and where our doctor, Landon Pendergrass, was. And so coming home, I realized, well, this is the place I can do this. You know, I, I was living in New York and Los Angeles for a long time, but to get the capital together and to find the kids and to feel like it was a part of home would have taken a big stretch. I didn't know New York City or Los Angeles the way I knew Memphis. And part of the way I knew Memphis is that I grew up in a public school. Mm -hmm. And my mother very pointedly sent me to Central High because of my expressed desire to be around kids who were very different from the kids I grew up with in private school. Not that they weren't great kids, but it was a very closed, siloed school. And I was curious, just really curious about the world. And so what I learned at Central High, I learned from my peers at Central High and from a great principal, Florence Leffler, who started bridge building with us in the late 70s and asking us questions around race and why we separated and what our attitudes were towards people of another race or another culture or another economic strata. And we had great conversations. So my inspiration comes from Memphis. That's, that's a beautiful story. I, I'm so curious. So for those who don't know, when did you start New Ballet? Um, and I, I'm, I'm curious how it has grown and changed since then. Um, I've been, I feel like I've been aware of it for most of my life somehow. So we're, it's uh, almost 20 years, yeah, okay. so that's wow. fair. Um, but we began in a private school because there was an opportunity. Tanya Castroverde Mascalenko invited me to St. Mary's to teach. And I really always wanted a community program. But she was a very convincing person for anyone who knows Tanya. She's a brilliant woman. She's now the executive director of Miami City Ballet. She's hmm. from Cuba, and her parents live in Miami. So she's she ran GPAC for a long time, but she was at the Buckman at the time. Okay. And, um, and I loved our students from St. Mary's. They were wonderful dancers, but I wanted to bring in for every child who could pay a child who didn't have access mm. and who couldn't pay. And it wasn't, the school wasn't built for that. I mean, it was very, very small. We outgrew the program very quickly. And so we were kind of searching for a spot when I ran into Steve Schwartz at Otherland's Coffee Bar. A lot of good stuff happened for me at Otherland's yeah. Coffee Bar because <laughs> I was learning the community all over again. I was gone for almost 20 years. Yeah. And so, first of all, I found out there's really good coffee in Memphis, yes. you know, in 1997. I wasn't really sure. <laughs> um, and, of course, that fuels a lot of ideas and a lot of conversations. Um, and Steve Schwartz, who owned what is now Rail Garden, okay. was in there having coffee, and he had seen a picture of us uh, downtown at Ernestine and Hazel's in that tile area outside of the bar, just taking pictures of kids sitting on garbage cans reading the New York Times going, where is our space to dance in tutus? It was oh, before 9-11. Wow. There wasn't a lot of news that year. Not yet. Um, and so he just stopped me at other ones and said, I've got a building. 
it's kind of like an old Judy Garland movie, you know. I got a space. <laughs> yeah, I was going to play in your dad's barn. What a Memphis story. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we moved into what is now the Rail Garden and then developed a board of directors, formally applied for our nonprofit okay. in 2003. Okay. So although there was, we started in 1999 as a group at St. Mary's and then out of the good graces of the folks at Theater Memphis, used their space when we didn't have a place to dance. Then we moved into this very large space, the Rail Garden is now the Rail Garden. It was called the Ice House then on Central Avenue and went from 12 students to 96 students. Threw the doors open, break dancers came in, families from Orange Mound who were proximal to the studio mm-hmm. um, through some relationships I had came in and said, can we dance? Sure, bring your friends, bring more people. And we filled up our classes. And then eventually, within a year, our high school graduates were our first employees and they began teaching. Wow. That's such a Memphis story. Like just how everything kind of fell into place. Like obviously you had to do some hard work to make this happen. We're not going to say that you did not. But I feel like you could have done this anywhere, but doing it in Memphis is what makes it so special. Well, I mean, we we were truly grassroots for a long time. Yeah. We didn't have big funding coming in to support what we were doing. It was an idea, and there were a lot of cynics around the idea. What, you're going to get kids out of public right. schools and turn them into classical ballet dancers and hip-hop stars? How are you going to do that? It's impossible. Even board members questioned if we could do it. So we were grassroots for a really long time mm-hmm. because I believe – that it, everybody couldn't get behind the idea at the time. There were, you know, there were important people who did, and but they were few and far between. Mm-hmm. I have to say, raising the money was really hard. We built our facility in Cooper Young for only a million and a half dollars. Wow! Wow! But raising a million and a half dollars in that era uh-huh. with an idea and a bunch of kids was difficult. But compared to the palaces that are being built now (laughs) that are, you know, in the tens of millions, um, it's a really efficient space. So we were able, the money we did raise, we were able to put toward program, towards scholarships, towards our in-school programs in Shelby County Schools. And that's been the most rewarding work. So tell us about the programs that are available Mm -hmm. today. How old are the kids that you're working with? Uh, How many kids are you working with every year? Is it all in studio? Are you still going into schools? All of it. All of it. So the answer is all of it. (laughs) Um, uh, Well... In the studio in Cooper Young, students as early as three can begin dancing. Um, they have to be comfortable without their parents, and the, especially now during mm-hmm. COVID, the fewer people in the studio hallways, the better. Um, and we, our program ranges into the apprenticeship program, which is now formalized, and those are the former graduates, now students at U of M or not. Um, they've decided this is really what they want to do and are waiting or not going to college. And those are staff members now being paid. So it's an apprenticeship program where there's a lot of learning and a lot of master teaching going on to expand their world of training, but they are also performing in schools, assisting in classes, and they are paid to train. And so that was really the dream, is that we could turn this into jobs for our graduates, because right now jobs in the arts are very difficult. So we have a very robust (laughs) apprenticeship program right now, uh, thanks to one anonymous donor and the matching grant from the Dupre Family Foundation, the Hohenberg Foundation, and the Scheidt Family Foundation. They've made this possible. So I do have to really acknowledge them and thank them. Yeah. Um, But so in schools, pre-COVID, 617 students around the city dancing weekly throughout the entire year. 
So we've got to get back to our pre-COVID numbers. And that work is starting to come back. The conversations are happening. We're going into the schools. And we're adding Kingsbury Elementary this year, the first school that is not in District 9 or downtown, in fact, that is north of Summer mm-hmm. Avenue in the Heights. And so that's that's a big move for us. We're very excited about that partnership. I didn't realize that, that so your, your, your footprint was geographically sort of in the Orange Mound, the, the South Memphis area. The South Memphis yeah. area. And so in 2009, we were in one school and with a lot of intention and a lot of programming, including Family Resource Center that we started in 2015 uh, to bring families into the program and, and to offer our partnerships with other nonprofits from around the city, like Excel Learning Center or DeNovo Learning Center or even MLG&W mm-hmm. to talk to families about how to settle utility bills and get through the winter and people teaching dads how to do hair. I mean, whatever the families asked for, we provided through our partnerships for free. Mm. Um, And free to us, free to them. And unfortunately, Dunbar Elementary had some population loss, so there was room for it. But now it's been more formalized. And we see these springing up all over the city. So it was great to be able to get it started and let it have its own feet and move forward. Mm. Um, Shelby County School supports that through an incredible Office of Family Services. So. That's great to hear. We've been having a lot of conversations around here about um, youth engagement in the arts and how are you like, you know, we kind of we try to curate conversations about what's going right in Memphis and celebrating mm-hmm. those successes. And, um, you know, every once in a while you just like are talking to people and you're like, wow, this kind of feels like a trend that we're thinking more about, not just K through 12 education in the traditional sense, but infusing arts and other sort of cultural experiences into education, both in the classroom, but also in after-school engagements and sort of support services. So I'm curious, I mean, obviously this is about dance, um, but what else are the kids getting out of this, right? Like when you're talking to a funder, let's say, or somebody, a supporter saying like, well, why should I care if, you know, this kid knows formal ballet technique? And there obviously is something behind that as well. So I'm curious, what, what else do you think that children are getting out of this when they leave at the end of the session? So for decades and over a century, Community schools, community arts education you know, schools in many major cities have, and in small rural towns, have raised artists through whole child development. Mm-hmm. There was never really a name given to it. It wasn't, I guess we would say these days, branded. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just what you did. You provided mentorship food if a child needed it. I was just telling Shelby as we walked in, um, because she knows this house very well, when my grandmother moved back here from Chicago as a young woman, maybe age 25, and the depression hit five, six years later. Uh, She taught ballet in her living room for any child who wanted it, whether they could pay or not. And if a child needed to eat dinner, they were fed dinner. If they needed a ride home, she gave them a ride home. If their parents were working, they stayed at her house. And that has been going on for over a century. But now... We sat around the table, a group of arts leaders through the National Guild for Community Arts Education. I serve on the board in New York. We represent 450 community arts education schools in Mm -hmm. the country. And um, we're really kind of an umbrella organization for resources and learning and leadership. And we sat around the table in 2013 in a Boston ballroom with the Massachusetts Cultural Council and the National Endowment for the Arts and said, let's put a name to what this is. There's an element of social justice and student voice. There's an element of leadership. There's an element of mentoring and getting ready for college. There's an element of academic tutoring and supporting a child's academics so they succeed evenly across a lot of fields. 
um, engaging children in their education, but also giving youth the voice to create their own art, as Little Buck did Mm -hmm. when he was with us for those years as a teenager. And so it grew and swelled until it became something called Creative Youth Development. There's now a website, creativeyouthdevelopment.org. Um, I was like, so, we, should, we should check that website uh, out. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> Writing it down now. Um, the, the risky thing is that community-based organizations started this work and may not, as grassroots organizations without big development departments, mm. have the institutional grant writer to write the grants and bring the money in for work they've already been doing. Mm-hmm. But another organization that does have a lot of infrastructure that's more institutionalized, more of a major cultural institution, might. And so we have to be really careful that we do what we say we're doing. And it takes a lot of hours, a lot of blood, a lot of sweat, a lot of tears. Ask anyone who's run a community-based organization in the city of Memphis or in Brooklyn (laughs) how many hours they spend with kids outside of the arts, Mm. whether it's transportation or food or helping with homework or listening, listening to ideas, listening to challenges. And so all of those things we work to provide. Not every child wants that. Um, We have a relationship with Kindred Place for mental health services because we're entering an an era where the ripple effects of COVID are gonna affect an entire generation of young people on very different levels from age three to 18 Mm -hmm. um, and on. And so as much support as we can wrap around this artist, the more likely they are to succeed and feel emotionally well and self-confident. I love that so much. I think that dance is something that challenges both the mind and the body, and you guys are really taking that aspect and bringing so much more to the table with it. So, Katie, I think this is the perfect opportunity for us to launch into your TED Talk from 2015. Guys, you're about to hear Katie Smythe's TEDx Memphis Talk, Wide Open Dance, A Tale of Two Cities. When we started New Ballet in 2003, I had no idea the lessons I would learn from the children who walked through our doors, much less how they would change the world of dance. But the story is much bigger than just about dance. It's about creating a human environment where children can grow and learn, being nurtured toward discovering their unique gifts. All of this is what makes New Ballet Ensemble in school new. I grew up as a child of white privilege. I had everything I needed, and I loved ballet. It was my life. I graduated from Central High with a job waiting for me in Minneapolis and danced around the country before coming home in the late 90s. When I came home, many things had changed, but one crucial thing had not. I first discovered it as a young child driving with my parents to take our beloved housekeeper and my advocate, Ella, home to South Memphis. Her neighborhood was so different than ours. Why, I would ask the adults at the wheel, why do old people sit outside in the heat when they could go inside and be cool? Because there's no air conditioning. Why? That's just the way it is. As I grew to adulthood, I came to answer those questions for myself. I learned about how race and class separate us. The two different Memphises that I knew as a child were still here, with a different set of rules and different experiences for children growing up, with some children giving everything that they need and some children not having access to what they longed for. 
Ballet still belonged to the white city for the most part, with very few exceptions. People from the other city thought it wasn't for them. And as I made the rounds to garner support to start New Ballet Ensemble in school, I ran into the Berlin Wall between those two cities. A respected black leader asked me, this is not relevant to our culture, so what are you going to do about that? And still another said, is this just another top-down mission, meaning a place where white people try to tell black people what to do? And then a friend, a colleague said, do you really think Memphis kids can do this? Then something happened that I didn't expect. One of our first black dancers, a lovely girl, came to me. She was quitting. Her grandmother had told her that she was too dark-skinned to dance. That broke her heart, and it made me mad. She could dance. But the grandmother had touched on something real. Where were her role models? I knew right then that this was not going to be easy, but this was really important. Reaching for excellence and creating beauty should be the privilege of any child, regardless of where they come from. If royal ballet teachers were good enough for me, why weren't they good enough for kids from Orange Mound? So, we started New Ballet as a place where all of these children from these different cities could come together, regardless of cultural barriers or self-perceptions, a place where they could create, work hard, and develop mutual respect, a place where not one child would ever be turned away because they couldn't pay for lessons. Not one. To do that, we had to chip away at the ingrown idea that, as James Baldwin once said, none of this is for you. We also had to erase the fallacy that delivering excellence meant watering down high expectations and sacrificing superior training. A rich tradition of dance has always been in the African-American culture, even when it was undercover. But what some of these kids don't think is for them are the tights. <laughs> well, for me and for the first teachers at New Ballet, our whole lives have been tights and tutus and point shoes. So we had to rethink. We had to rethink the whole deal. What were we going to do? We had to learn from the young people who came through our doors before we could teach them anything. So we threw the doors wide open, and children came in, hip-hop dance teams, street dancers, break dancers, and we talked, and we networked, and we danced. Finding talent was not difficult. That's the easy part. Children walked in owning their own style and their own unique capabilities. How would we harmonize that with our formal techniques? so that we could have this conversation across cultures and create a new kind of dance and get into some kind of zone where something new could happen. This is an ongoing process. Ballet is traditionally a top-down world. Choreographers and teachers tell us what to do, and we do it. But street dancers, young dancers learn from older dancers, the community is their teacher. So we learned to listen to those waves that rippled up from those young people. 
and then add our formal techniques to those questions in this conversation, as I said, that would take us to the next place. Classical ballet has always been our foundation. It always will be because that's what young people need to get into college. It's also what you need to get into a professional dance company. But dancers from other styles have a tremendous advantage when they approach ballet. One of those was a guy from Westwood. He entered our doors as Charles Riley. He danced with us for three years, marrying his innate talent, his brilliant improvisations with our formal ballet classes, developing a sense of line and technique. But now he's known to the world as Little Buck. He's danced with Yo-Yo Ma. He's on tour right now with Madonna all over Europe. He's in Spike Lee's new movie, and the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and CNN have all celebrated him. And we're so proud of Buck, but we're just as proud of all of the successful students in our school. Olivia Grace Wolf, for example, got two majors at Butler University, and now she's getting her master's in international studies. Looking at these children, it's like looking into our classroom. Rudy Payton is on Broadway as the lion captain in the Broadway dance show Swing. Shanice Matthews is dancing at college. Marymount Manhattan, this was her first week. She's on a dance and academic scholarship. Max Reed came from Orange Mound into our doors at age 14, and now he's starred on Broadway for five years. He's a choreographer, and he's home to teach the students that are growing up behind him. And Brianna Moore, a senior at Vanderbilt, studying the arts and human development. Brianna came home over the summer to lend her expertise to our staff. I hope I can hire her one day. This is New Ballet Ensemble. In our studios on York Avenue, those walls are crumbling down. And everyone is growing up together in the same classes, with the same superior standard and the same high expectations at the same time. We want to banish the word outreach so that there is no other Memphis for us. We're creating human bonds and intertwining our lives so that we can raise the next generation together. But we've learned one powerful fact. Access does not equal equity. We can open dance doors for our students, but what about the other doors? What about the education door, the motivation door, the social skills door? We've created this place where youth feel safe, supported, and creative, but how can we use this model to create a broader mission and serve more children? Make no mistake, we want to end the cycle of poverty for our students. And still for others, we want to see them succeed beyond the studios. We began in Orange Mound, a community full of pride in the face of daunting circumstances. We were at Dunbar Elementary in 2008 and decided with the principal to take a program to children where they could dance their way to a larger world. We're invested in Orange Mound for the long term, and the dividends have been substantial. Justin and Lee Anthony not only have danced with Yo-Yo Ma, but they've also danced in New York City and at Washington, D.C.'s The Kennedy Center. This year, we'll be in two more schools delivering the same programming, excellence in training, in a family environment where we provide transportation to our facility after school, mentoring for each student, and we're going to involve even more parents and grandparents.
So much homework today is internet-based, so our students don't all have internet at home. 25% of our scholarship students don't. They use our computers at the studio to do their homework before and after dance classes. But as soon as we can fund it, we are going to have a computer lab where that can happen in an organized fashion. That's educational equity. Here's our progress report. The stuff is working. The average ACT in Memphis is a 16. At New Ballet Ensemble, it's a 25. This year, seven students brought home $843,000 in scholarship offers. We started the Student Alumni Mentoring Initiative for ninth grade students who are college bound. And since 2008, 100% of our students have gone to college. 100%. This is creative youth development. Creative youth development. In 2014, we won the National Arts and Humanities Youth Program Award, one of the nation's top honors for out-of-school time programs. Michelle Obama gave the award to Brianna Brown and me when we visited the White House. We've done so much, and we have so much to do, and our broad mission is growing, but we can't forget that we're a pretty darn good dance school, too. Our advanced students and our teachers make up a fine ensemble. In 2009, Alistair McCauley of the New York Times said that the Nut Remix, a relevant nutcracker, was one of the three top nutcrackers in the country. And then, after that, the Kennedy Center commissioned three companies to come dance in the first series with the National Symphony Orchestra, New Moves, Symphony, and Dance. We were one of the three. And we're always performing in as many as 20 schools a year at the Levitt Shell, at the Cannon Center. Give us some space and we'll dance for you. A lot of wonderful things are happening, but here's the thing. There are only 104 children in our Creative Youth Development Program in Orange Mound. Think of the hundreds of talented, kinesthetic children that could benefit from this program. Think of the thousands in Shelby County. This program is not only that, because families are where the children go at night to their families. How can they give them an equitable life if we don't support them too? So we're starting that initiative in Orange Mound with a parent arts literacy and financial literacy program. The lessons we've learned can help anyone who wants to help children reach excellence through the arts. First, find students where they are. How many students do we know have been overlooked in English class who can write rhythmic rhyming couplets? That's the beginning of literature. How many students are tagging the walls with intricate graffiti who could go right here to the University of Memphis and major in the fine arts? Then, we must let students be who they are. We want to create an environment where there's an exchange of ideas flowing back and forth. That creates confidence and autonomy tools for a successful life. And then, finally, commit to being 360-degree educators. We can't just educate on a subject topic. We have to engage the whole child. We have to identify that wall together and tear it down. Recently, I heard David Coleman, the president of the College Board, talk to one important fact. 
after academic achievement, maintaining one sustained activity throughout childhood is the single indicator for success in college and beyond. One sustained activity, and the arts is perhaps the best vehicle we found for that. In 2008, Josephine Ramirez made a statement to the Community Arts Education Assembled Gathering. She said, we are raising the capacity of all so we no longer recognize our differences. That crystallizes my hopes for New Ballet and for Memphis, one child at a time. Thank you. Guys, if you are just joining us here on WYXR, you are listening to Meanwhile in Memphis. And we just heard Katie Smythe's 2015 TEDx Memphis talk. And we have her in the studio right now to answer some questions for us. Um, so, Katie, you mentioned in your talk, you know, after being away, your eyes were opened to so much when you came back. Um, and you had to, you said something that said you had to learn before you could teach. And I loved that model so much. And you kind of shared about how the ensemble in school began. So as you guys are working to change the perception of ballet as like this elite art form that is seen as not for me, what are you seeing happening? Well, a lot's happened in Memphis yeah. of late. Um, what's happened to me is that, and, and this is almost painful to say because I can see my grandmother, the ballerina, um, <laughs> turning pirouetting in her grave as I say it <laughs> um, ballet is is important for a lot of reasons yes. it's especially important to those dancers who aspire to it and want it mm -hmm. but it's not everything you know it's just it's just not that I mean equally important what I learned is that my view of well I it wasn't even coined this when I learned about it, I mean, it was, but I didn't know because I was pretty blind. Memphis Chicken, mm -hmm. which is a phenomenal art form. What I learned from working with Lil Buck and all of his peers and friends um, and great pioneers in Memphis Chicken is that there is a syllabus in a way. There's, it's codified. There are steps. They must be practiced as mm -hmm. often as ballet steps. It is incredibly musical the way ballet is. You have to be able to interpret the music as it comes to you in your ears. <laughs> um, it has to come out of your fibers of your being. Um, and it was marginalized for so long. When we started fusing hip hop into our productions like Nut Remix, um, which we're kind of known for, yeah. it's kind of our business model or our program model. Um, I was told by a lot of people that, that was the hip hop was the downfall of civilization. What? And so, Sorry, that's like yeah. so dramatic. No, that's a direct <laughs> yeah. quote. I'm, I'm, I absolutely believe you. And it's yeah. stunning because it would come to me yeah. secondhand from board mm -hmm. members or family members. And and you have to forgive people for being blind because um, we all have our blind spots. True. But at the same time, you have to dispel that notion. Yes. <laughs> um, that and is so, so untrue. Every time some sort of false narrative would come my way, I would... I love challenge. If it's not really, really hard, I'm just not interested in being involved. Oh. I don't think I do very well when something isn't challenging or hard. And I do think that's what I loved about ballet is that it was so hard. Yeah. And when the class wasn't hard and I had no competition in the class, I was bored. Um, so 
I can say the same thing about a really excellent Jukin dancer. Mm-hmm. I can say the same thing about a really excellent flamenco dancer. There's something about dancers that unifies us across all of these genres, and that is that we have to get it right for ourselves so that we can transform others through our craft. And there's no one more emblematic of that than Lil Buck. And whereas I might have looked in the beginning as our organization, quote, helping him, Mm -hmm. the truth is he built our organization. He informed my knowledge of dance and how to bring things together and how to have these conversations across generations. Mm. So if someone from a generation decades ahead of me is saying this is the downfall of civilization, let me change the music um, and create something beautiful with Lil Buck, like the hip hop dying swan, which is his creation. It was an improvisation. Um, And show it to them and see how moved they are. And what we instantly saw were elderly people who had no information about Memphis Jukin weeping because it was dance to something they knew, mm-hmm. Haydn or Beethoven or Stravinsky. And then they started to learn about the grace and the beauty of it and could tune their ears in to another form of music, a new form of music, um, and understand how important that music was to these young artists, how it is their identity. Right. Um, it was dangerous exercise for everyone involved. <laughs> It was, it was a, risky. So, so, so much vulnerability, obviously. So much vulnerability. But, I, you know, I love, I mean, across all of your work, the way in which you are fundamentally helping human beings connect, that you're, you know, using using art as a way to, again, um, bridge what it can be very entrenched cultural divides, generational divides, as you mentioned, um, r- racial lines and that uh, that's why I love the title of your talk a tale of two cities because it is you know obviously this is a small example but that you know that is writ large across our entire community mm-hmm. and this is such a and there's really I guess just because the the brand as you would say of, of ballet is the you know very white very you're you know very proper like it's kind of the epitome I would like I often use the analogy of the symphony in a similar way it's just like oh well that's for older rich white people and you're like no (laughs) like with so many opportunities for other communities to enjoy it and for for again for those communities to say hey if you love ballet you're probably also going to love this thing um i'm curious for for you as somebody who used to be a performer do you ever get i'm thinking about this because when you offer we you did a ted talk in the first year that we ever did it so we were all learning um (laughs) and one of the lessons that i've taken away now after doing it for five or six years is that people who are performers give good ted talks um (laughs) so we don't always but like we're like oh you're an actor or you're a performer oh you you know you've been on the stage um so i'm curious if this scratched that itch for you if you ever yearn to be back you know truly you know not just teaching but doing well that time has passed for me. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a great friend in North Carolina, a former Martha Graham dancer, who started something called Movement Migration for retired oh. dancers. Ah. And I love their work. And they guess yeah. they come to teach our kids. And they're former stars of Limon and Graham and, and big ballet companies. So it's it's a wonderful program that she has. You know, I remember very vividly in Los Angeles when I started teaching and I was young. I was maybe 26, 27. Um, And I was still performing with Los Angeles Music Center, but I was teaching at the Santa Monica Dance Center. And I choreographed something that was a jazz fusion, Claude Bolling's 
classical jazz mix. So I grew up with a lot of classical music and a lot of jazz music because yeah. I'm my dad's daughter, Ham Smythe. And if anybody knows him, they know that he loves jazz. <laughs> and he supported jazz in Memphis for a very long time. He just supported Memphis Jazz Workshop so that teachers who were not working during the pandemic had some funds um, so they could be paid to go in and teach privates to the kids at Memphis Jazz Workshop, a great nonprofit. Um, so all that fusion of mm-hmm. classical and jazz really intrigued me. But what intrigued me more was sitting in the audience and watching kids carry it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I remember I looked at my dad's father, my children's father at the time, my ex-husband, and said, this makes me feel so much better than I ever felt performing myself. Oh, that's great. And I love to perform, and I've never gone back on that, ever. But I was the first person to walk out on that stage for TEDx Memphis. I know. God so bless you. <laughs> if the technology wasn't going to work, it was going to not work for right. me. And I am really good at pivoting if I have to. You know, that's not a pun. That's like, right. I'll yeah. just throw, I'll you just figure it know, out. Yeah, I'll just project my voice and sing it if I right. have to. But um, it was very nerve wracking, especially the memorization aspects of it. Yeah, so sure. I have my little note cards with me. But Scott Morris was one of the final speakers mm-hmm. and he sat on the stool in the wings and never left oh, wow. for every single speaker who went out. And I just remember thinking what a gift that was to all of us because no matter how many times you perform, my, my t- director in Minneapolis used to say, you're not nervous, you're excited. Mm-hmm. And that was always a great feeling. So I was in the wings going, I'm not nervous, I'm excited. I'm not nervous, I'm <laughs> Try excited. to convince yourself. And then I looked up, because, you know, you're open also. It is, you yeah. are very vulnerable. You're open to a lot of criticism and, and mm-hmm. it's probably deservedly so. And so I looked over at Scott and he just gave me this look of, you got this. And he must have done that for all of the speakers. That sounds so much like him. Best. And then he went out. And did his own, and he was brilliant, of course. Of course. And he's a minister, you know. I mean, it, yeah. he gave a beautiful sermon mm-hmm. um, about his work. So, no, I don't really miss performing. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, to answer, no, I am good. <laughs> people tell, I've had many people from that year tell me that same anecdote because it had such an impact. About Scott? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it was sweet. a great. It was, was a, a great, great class of TEDx speakers. <laughs> it was. They all. They all. I mean, this is so much. So much fun for us that we get to come back and like you know revisit and go. Hey, like I haven't gotten to see you in a little <laughs> while. But thank you. I should say. I. I always. <laughs> If you're, if you're out there listening and you're like, I want to give a TED Talk, remember that it's a lot of work and it's very that? stressful. <laughs> so it is such an undertaking, and I appreciate you doing And that. I was a trained actor as well. Yeah. And I acted in New York. And one thing I did learn is I could memorize, especially, you know, difficult scripts and Shakespeare by just walking. Oh. And so that morning I walked around the lake. I went to a lake and just walked and walked and walked and walked and repeated it over and over. And then got to the U of M and just walked around campus. Yeah. And then um, it just flowed. That's TED Tips right there. TED Tips. (laughs) So you mentioned a little bit, though, you talked specifically about Little Buck. And so I'm just curious, as a creator of an organization, what does it feel like when you see your students have success? Like, how does that feel? It's, well, of course, it's gratifying. Yeah. And and there's a sense of pride in them. But it's what, to me, is just awesome is that he is a leader. Mm -hmm. He's a, a worldwide leader in dance and that is because of his own belief in himself and his ability and his trajectory I don't know if I've told this story very often but he as a little kid imagined himself jukin on the Great Wall of China Oh wow! and lo and behold around the time I gave this TED talk he was doing that with Yo-Yo Ma and Meryl Streep on a Chinese diplomatic mission 
for the United States, for the State Department. He was chicken on the Great Wall so of China. Cool. And he came back, and it, it is a little secret, so forgive me, Charles, if I'm telling <laughs> you. His name is Charles Riley. Um, but he said, you know, Katie, I always dreamed about doing that. <sighs> I said, what? And he goes, I used to chuck on the Great Wall of China in my dreams, you know, when he was going to, you know, Westwood Elementary yeah. School. So um, that that is just a testament that if you help young people with the resources they need, they are have inherently everything they need when it comes to talent. As long as you're there to catch any lack of confidence, which I never saw in him, mm-hmm. never, not once. He always believed in himself, but not all of us can, right? We all have those moments where we wake right. up and say, can I really do this? Um, I'm not I'm pretty sure he never had yeah. that. <laughs> he probably did, but he's just so aspirational. And so his, he's influencing so many people. Yeah. You guys are really providing these students with like the foundation and the formal techniques, but you're also bringing in that style and flavor and you're mixing the two. And I think that's just a really big testament. I know a young man named Justin actually performed during your TED Talk. And I know the listening audience won't be able to see that today, but they can if they go to YouTube and look up your talk. Um, But I thought that was, again, just such a testament to what you guys are bringing to the table. And so for those who are listening that are like, I'm so intrigued by this work I want to support, what can they do? Well, we do have a mentorship program sponsored by the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, it's been, you know, cumbersome to run during the pandemic. Yeah. But now that everyone's so adept at, adept at virtual meetings, and we do have safe spaces in our studio now, thanks to the Federal CARES grant awesome. and some investments from Memphis City Council, but also the Women's Foundation that managed that grant, we have totally retooled ventilation. And we started last year with that. So we were open in September of 2020 with full classes going with MRF 13 filters, HEPA filters, a new atrium that was kind of the sanitization station where you take your temperature and sign in. And we ask questions about have you traveled and all of those things. So we've managed it really well. So we are bringing our mentorship program back. So if people are interested in mentoring at New Ballet, you do not have to be a dancer. As a matter of fact, (laughs) it's better if you're not. One of our greatest mentors was Jean Jemison, who's a celebrated physician in Memphis. And she mentored one of our students that wanted to be a doctor. And so she nurtured her through her career at White Station with choosing the right coursework. And she went to Duke on a fellowship. That's so great. um, And just graduated. So any any professional is welcome at New Ballet. And or not professional volunteer who's given her or his life to their kids their whole lives (laughs) and they want to keep giving to kids there's a space for that so this is volunteer at newballet.org okay um, and we'll reach back out to you we also always need sponsors for our programs for our scholarships and for our performances so nut remix is back at the cannon center november 20th and 21st we hope and pray. Right. Last year we did it at the Malco Drive-In. It was fantastic. Um, <laughs> we just projected the 2018 yeah. that remix of the Malco Drive-In. It was a lot of fun. And we might even do that again this year. We might film this one and go back and, yeah. and let the community, you know, like come in, pay what you can um, to see it in the back of a pickup truck right. if you so choose, which was a lot of fun, I have to I was say. I say, it was an awesome um, opportunity. Yeah, it was an awesome thing to do. Um, so we need sponsors for that, okay. but we are very fortunate. Nike um, is sponsoring us yet again. They've been a supporter of New Ballet since 2004. Oh, wow. And as a matter of fact, when Charles Lil Buck came into the studio with 20 classmates, Taryn Geary, Taryn Cook um, from Subculture Royalty, 
partnered with us and, and introduced the students to our program. Nike sponsored that. So cool. Okay. So um, we do have some big sponsors, but we need small sponsors too. That's what I was about to say. Like, what about, it? I'm assuming no donation amount is too small or too big. No. <laughs> and anything towards a scholarship, as you can imagine, our scholarship demand has ticked up a lot this year. Yeah. So yes, please support scholarships. No, I think you answered my other question as I was curious about the Nut Remix. I really wanted to know if you guys are bringing it back. Yes, and we are working with the Memphis Symphony, and they're working with us. They've been generous in our negotiations, and so they will be playing. And, you know, they play all kinds of great music. They play Green Onions. You know, it's they're not just playing Tchaikovsky. They're playing the remixed hip-hop battle. So yes. it's literally Tchaikovsky remixed with trip-hop rhythms which are unique to Memphis. It's very cool. It's, it's honestly I, a dream. I haven't been in a number of years, but it is very cool. Yeah. Like, to, and to hear the whole symphony like playing I mean, that. It's not going to like your child's uh, Christmas pageant. It is, yeah, it's no, not your grandma's is, nutcracker. Yeah, not That's your what we always say. Nutcracker. Everybody loves it because it's community on stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's great. Thank you so much for being here with us, Katie. Thank you. One last question before you leave us. For the parent that's listening or has a child that wants to get involved, how do they do that? Do they just go to the website and just fill out something? Or Yes, you can go to the website and go to register for classes. Okay. Um, and that is if you're ready to register. Yes. But the best thing to do is to give us a call, honestly. Perfect. We are we like to talk on the phone. Okay. <laughs> 726-9225. And if you think about it, 22? Oh, that's 726-9225. <laughs> or email frontdesk at newballet.org and let us know if you're looking for a scholarship application or if you just want to enroll. Yeah, perfect. Guys, you just got all the resources you need. Please consider giving, sponsoring, giving your time and be a mentor. Again, we always like to say it, no gift is too big and no gift is too small. So support amazing people like the new ballet and Katie who are just killing it and all these students just doing amazing things in our city. Thank you so much for being here with us Thank you so much for having us. It's great to see you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was an amazing episode, Anna. How are you feeling after that? Inspired to put on some some of my toe <laughs> shoes and get after it. Uh, the whole story is so inspiring and just talking about how something like ballet that is like this beautiful majestic art form is also building these transferable skills in kids and youth in our city is just such a powerful message. And I love that we got to hear that today. Guys, if you were inspired by what you heard today by Katie, guess what? You have a whole new crop of TED speakers coming into the game to be inspired by on October 30th. I know Anna Mullins talked about it at the beginning of the show. Um, but just a reminder, TEDx Memphis is happening October 30th at the Levitt Show. It's outdoors so we can keep you as safe as possible. Um, and we're going to have a whole new crop of speakers again that you will get to hear very, very soon. Um, if you were at Exposure on 901 Day, you already got the sneak peek of the full speaker roster. But it'll be announcing to the public in about two days. So stay tuned for that. Get your early bird tickets if they're still available. We're selling out like hotcakes. So if you're hearing this and they're not available anymore, I'm sorry. You should have acted sooner. I love you. Mean Get it. in your time machine. <laughs> yeah. Go back. Go back in time. But no, again, Anna Mullins knows how inspiring Ted is. She's been in the game for a long time doing it. Go to TEDxMemphis.com and snag up those tickets so you can join us for more talks like this one. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, Christy, thank you for pulling together a great episode, and I will see you next week. Yeah, see you guys later. Bye. Bye. 
This week's episode was made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.